0: hear the word of the Lord. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy "'cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, "'and to present her to himself as a radiant church "'without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, "'but holy and blameless. "'In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives "'as their own bodies. "'He who loves his wife loves himself. "'After all, no one ever hated their own body, "'but they they feed and care for their body, "'just as Christ does the church.'" for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning, sojourn. Peace be with you. My name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, this week is the second week in a small series here on Ephesians 5 about the nature of Christian marriage. Uh, Stephen Pierce served us well last week by um, giving us a big picture on the relationship of this passage and how it relates to Jesus Christ our Savior and his his bride, the church, which is us. Uh, And uh, this week I get to speak about the nature of Christian marriage and how it relates to wives. And then Pastor Jonah will finish things off next week and uh, preach on the nature of Christian marriage and husbands. In my Christian experience, which is about 20 years now, I've been asked um, a collection of questions by non-Christians. Those are people who do not proclaim Jesus as Lord. And they kind of, um, I would divide them up into two basic categories of the types of questions that I have been asked. I've been asked questions about my personal experience as a Christian. And then I've been asked questions about my personal convictions or what the Bible teaches or the way I understand it as a Christian. So you might say um, belief and practice or doctrine experience, something of that nature. Um, On one hand, uh, I've been asked some questions that were Uh, really wonderful to answer from non-Christians, just kind of off the cuff. I've been asked by a guy outright. He said, can you explain to me why it is that Jesus Christ had to die? Which I was glad to do so. I think I can handle that. That's a pretty slow pitch. I'll swing at that one. Uh, I was asked by a mathematics major who um, found out that Jesus Christ fulfilled uh, hundreds of promises out of the Old Testament um, in his life and his ministry. And he actually, I seen him do it, he calculated in his head the mathematical probability of that being the case. And he was blown away by it. And he says, you, I need you to explain this to me. Can you do this? And I was like, yeah, I'd be glad to do that. And I've been asked about all kinds of things related to what the Bible teaches about who Jesus is or various things about the Christian faith. And then other thing, the other category has been my personal experience. So, things related to, you know, like, what's your story? Why did you become a Christian? How did you first start attending church? Things of that nature. And that type of question I've been asked more than once. It's not common that people ask you about prophecies of Jesus Christ and uh, things of that nature. But one doctrinal question that I have been asked on more than one occasion um, over about 20 years has been this can you explain to me this whole women, wives, and submission thing? Of which I normally want to respond by saying, I mean, I could, but I'd rather not, and let's just say that I did, okay? <laughs> I, I've been asked that question on more than one occasion and more than one setting on, um, by more than one woman. Um, and generally... It's my New Year's resolution to stop telling God, okay, I answered that, so don't ever ask me that again. You know, it's, it's my New Year's resolution to quit telling, telling him uh, that because it's just, it's not working out for me if you haven't already noticed. So, why is it that people ask this question? Like, I mean, I have to ask myself, and maybe it's just me, and maybe I just have a peculiar experience, but it is a question that I ask myself. What is it about this topic that, that I have personally, and I'm not the summation of Christian experience, but why is it that I get asked it on a regular basis over the course of decades by this point in time? There's something about this in the current culture that we live in that seems, or at least the way I interpret the questions, it seems archaic. It seems the evidence of the false beliefs and notions of people that we buried a long time ago, it just seems to be something that is so strange. Or at least that's the way that I receive the question. And for that matter, it's it's about a topic that people, regardless of who you are, are going to encounter at some point in time marriage is a common experience most people will get married not everybody but everybody most likely is going to encounter somebody else who is married or has been married you can't get away from the experience of marriage if you are a human it's not it's not possible it's something that binds all cultures all people and all places because it is something that has been created by God. And for that matter, if you, we just look at our culture, even this last couple of years, marriage is actually just in and of itself one of the most controversial subjects we could encounter. It's one of the most controversial subjects in the United States. And so really and honestly, I shouldn't be surprised that I get asked this question. We live in a world that God has made and God has made marriage. And in the beginning, marriage looked a certain way and it was ordered a certain way because God had an intention. God has a purpose and a mission in marriage itself. And so he orders it in such a way so as to be able to execute that mission in this world. But we know the world is not... The way God originally made it. Our world right now is broken and it's twisted and it is waiting for the day when the sons of God will be revealed at the resurrection. And so we need, we need God actually to speak into our lives and to bring clarity because there is, there are millions of opinions on what marriage is for and if it has any purpose at all and the reality is, is that we serve a God who, one, speaks, and two, he brings clarity in the midst of all the voices that we find in this world. And we need to hear what he has to say, because when God creates order, it's always for good, and it's always to produce life. God always have, has good things for his children in the way he orders their creation, but also in the way that he orders redemption itself. And these, these types of themes that Paul is addressing in the book of Ephesians. As a church, we had studied the book of Ephesians quite some time ago. And in the first part of the book of Ephesians, Paul is talking about who we are as Christians. That is, we are people who belong to Jesus Christ. We are his bride, and he is the groom, and we belong to him. And then after he talks about that in the first three chapters of Ephesians, he moves into chapter 4, 5, and 6, where he starts getting very practical. He, he starts talking about doctrine, and then he moves to experience or practicality. And specifically in the passage that is before us in chapter 5, he is saying that Christians now live in light of these realities, that they belong to Jesus Christ. And so what, what that looks like is they are people who are marked by submission in three areas their marriages, in parenting, and in work. That submission and responsibilities take place in those three arenas and specifically with regards to the agenda that is at hand today we'll look at what does this look like for christian marriage and paul here says to christian wives that christian wives have the responsibility to submit to their husbands in such a way that they proclaim to the world what it looks like to be a christian and how to relate to jesus christ and so it's with these things in mind that it's my desire that you Hear God saying to you that a Christian wife paints a portrait of true Christian living. That a godly wife paints a portrait of true Christian living. You might say, now how is it that a godly wife paints a portrait of true Christian living? Well, there are three ways that I believe a godly wife paints a portrait of true Christian living. First, by reinforcing that submission is normal Christian living. First, by reinforcing that submission is normal Christian living. Second, by revealing the order of salvation. Second, by revealing the order of salvation. And third, by respecting her husband. First, by reinforcing that. Submission is normal to Christian living. So Paul is, as I said, he is starting to get practical in this book, if you were to read it in its full context. And as he slows down and he starts talking, before he goes into the details of marriage and then parenting and then work, he wants to give a general command. Look here with me in verse 21. He says, Submit one to another out of reverence for Christ submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. So that's the basic, the general command that's given to all Christians at all times and all places. Um, Submit one to another. Now what does that mean? What does that word submit means? It carries with it connotations in in our contemporary culture. Well, it essentially is an inward disposition. It's a, it's a matter of the heart. It's the acknowledgement of someone's position and responsibilities. And at times, it's deferring one's, one's personal concerns and obligations um, to the concerns, plans, and obligations of someone else. It's an, it's an inward disposition that recognizes the responsibility of someone else. And what... Paul says is that he says Christianity is marked by submission one to another. And did you see that he addresses the motive in verse 21? We submit one to another. So the church should be marked by some sort of of deferring, um, and there's some sort of give and take, some sort of dance that takes place even within the church. And he says, why? Why do we do this? Do we do it just to keep the peace do we do it just to avoid conflict? Well, we do it out of reverence for Christ. We do it because, we, because we're Christians. We all belong to the same family. We all have the same Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. So out of respect for him, we relate to one another a certain way. We are brothers and sisters, and so because we have the same Father, and because we have the same, same Savior, and because we got into this thing the same way by faith in Jesus, we 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 submit to one another out of respect for him. So he's drawing submission really even away from the individual, and he's placing it in the person of Jesus Christ. And then, so after he gets general, then he starts to get more particular. Look here with me in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. So then he gets more specific. Now, notice here what he says. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. I mean, listen to the way that he's speaking of it. He's speaking of it as if it's, well, it's normal. I mean, you do it this way just like you would do it that way. It seems to be a normal aspect to the Christian experience. Wives are to submit themselves to their to their own husbands, as they do to the Lord. He speaks of it as if, you know, this, this shouldn't be surprising to you. You now belong to Jesus Christ, and when you belong to Jesus Christ, he orders your life in such a way that you give yourself to him. You give yourself to him, knowing that he's a good savior and that he will produce life when you submit to him. So think about it. When a person becomes a Christian, they they submit themselves to Jesus Christ. So the man maybe who... Um, steals pills and gets high. He steals money from his mother or whatever it is so that he can get high and he can get his fix. What does he do? Well, when he becomes a Christian, he submits himself to the lordship of Jesus and it changes and it orders his life. So he no longer steals, he gets a job. He's no longer getting high. He's, he's now not isolated and concerned about his own addiction, but now he's a member in a church and he's giving himself to the body of faith. He's giving himself to, to community. And so because Jesus is is directing his life. He's leading him in a place that is marked by community and by commitment and by all good things. And so what Paul says, and, and we would say that's normal, right? We expect a person who becomes a Christian that their life will take a new path, will take a new direction. And so Paul's saying, yeah, this is this is what you would expect out of a Christian, right? You would expect out of a Christian that there would be submission. There would be the understanding the acknowledgement that, hey, Jesus Christ has been placed here to direct my life, and I'll give myself to his direction. And in the same way, wives submit to their husbands. It's a normal aspect of Christianity, this whole submission thing. Once I had a co-worker, a female co-worker specifically. I've only been asked this question by women. I've never had a man ask me this question. She said to me, Now, she was coming to church at Sojourn, and she said, and she's wrestling with Christianity, and she says to me, can you explain the whole, some of this thing about Christianity and women and submission and all this stuff? And now let's, now this woman was a single woman, and she was single again. She had been married a couple of times by this point in time. She had two small children. And so she's coming in and she's hearing about the message of Christianity and she's hearing about all these things. And then she is, she is now confronted by these ideas. And now it's wrestling because this is going to potentially personally affect her life. She's, she's kind of reading the writing on the wall. And so she asked me, can you explain this to me now? Uh, if I remember correctly, I wiped sweat off my brow and got my internal bearings underneath me. And and internally, I think I was saying, I don't want to, but I think like a good hypocrite, I said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Now, she asked me that question because, well, it would seem to me with what I'm saying, it goes against everything that what I just said, right? She's asking me, can you explain this to me? Because it doesn't seem normal. And yet my claim just a second ago was, it is normal. But the caveat is, is it is normal for Christians. This is something that makes us stand out before the world, doesn't it? I mean, the reason why my non-Christian co-worker asked me this is because it just doesn't make sense. Here is something about Christianity that makes us stand out in the world, and that's partly what, for some of us, is so terrifying about it, isn't it? It's something that, that immediately brings us against the culture that surrounds us. But here's the thing is, is it's normal for us, but we belong to someone that they do not belong to. We belong to Jesus Christ. And because we belong to Jesus Christ, we understand that we will be led in a good direction by our leader, who is Jesus Christ, our savior. We understand that for Christians, submission always results in life-altering change for the better, not for the worse. It's something that makes us stand apart from the world. And that might make it terrifying, but it doesn't make it any less true. And you know what? We know that it's good, though it may not be easy. It's something that's normal for us, but it doesn't seem that way to all those who are outside of us. And I I want to say this to all the Christian wives, but to all Christians in general, your life is communicating something about what it means to be a normal, everyday, average Christian. Your life, and the wives carry such, carry such a burden to communicate what it looks like to submit in a way that the world can see, yes, that's what it means to be a Christian. Now, let me ask you, how does submission seem to you personally? Does it seem normal? Does it seem abnormal? What does it look like to you? And then I would ask you, why is it, why is it that it looks that way? Is it because of your experience? Is it because of your experience in the home where you maybe seen it practiced um, improperly or properly? What does it look like to you? How does it seem? The reality is for the Christian, we can approach this and we know that, you know what? We give ourselves to Jesus Christ and he always leads us in good. That may not always be our experience. And for some of you, you will be the beginning of of communicating this message in a way that looks healthy and then looks good and that looks godly, but it may not be your experience up to this point in time. Your experience with this might be, have been the absence of anything good or healthy. And now you are, are the means by which good and change will take place because submission always leads to transformation later on and it's always communicating something. Second, a godly wife paints a portrait of true Christian living by revealing the order of salvation. Second, by revealing the order of salvation. So he... He speaks to the nature of submission, and and he's going to focus first on the wives, and then he's going to move to the husbands afterwards, and he's going to say that there's essentially an order to things. Now, I was asked about this type of question by some different co-workers. These These were two ladies, okay, and if you're familiar with basketball, you never want to be on defense when it's a two-on-one fast break, okay? And I, I had two and I was the one. And uh, both of them very intelligent. Uh, one of them won national competitions in debate. She's, a, she's an attorney now, not somebody. And my general argumentation on most things is pretty sloppy. And so here I'm being confronted with somebody who, you know, it is just... It's inherent in her DNA to just question you to death. And so I was asked this question. They attended, or one of them attended a wedding. And in the wedding, it was a Christian wedding, and in the wedding, they addressed these subjects. They talked about headship and submission. They talked about these type of things in the wedding, and one of them was there and was it, it brought questions to her mind. And she turned to her friend, and then they had more questions, and then dumb Christian me walks into the room and they said, Hey, we've got a question for you. Sure, I'd love to answer your question, or something stupid like that. And they said, We attended a wedding and we wanted to ask you about this whole Wives submit to your husband's thing. Can you answer me that question? And then it's like, oh dear goodness, <laughs> I didn't say that. That's internally what I was doing. I it probably wasn't that churchy, <laughs> to be honest. Wipe the sweat off your brow, get your bearings up underneath you, and give it a shot. Now they wanted details, okay? the first co-worker was asking more general things and wrestling with it very, in a very personal way, but they wanted details. They wanted to know what's the expanse of the authority. They wanted to know, does this mean that the hair has to be worn a certain way? Does this mean that the dress has to be a certain way? They wanted all the details and all the facts and the figures, and they wanted it right then and there. Now, the apostle goes into some of this but it has to be understood in a broader context. And let's look here at how the apostle addresses the question, and then, and then we'll go from there. Verses 22 and 23. Wives, submit to your, to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. The personal pronoun here is, is a his. As much importance as anything in this passage. First, it says that wives are to submit to their own husbands as they do to the Lord. Notice there it's not a it's not a general command for women to submit to men. It's not some sort of universal command that all women are subservient to all men or something to that effect. The word own entails a person stands behind that word. A wife is to submit to her own husband. So there's a specific relationship. Notice what it's also not addressing. It's not also addressing other relationships that men and women find themselves. It has not, It doesn't say anything about, for instance, the workplace, okay? Sometimes people will, will expand this out and say, well, you know, all our managers have to be men and whatever else. It doesn't say anything about that. It has nothing to do with that. That's, that's using the scriptures for selfish gains. It doesn't say anything about women politicians or anything about that. It's talking about marriage, and so we need to keep the sphere in the sphere, okay? And what it's addressing is a specific area, and so wives are to submit to their own husbands. There's a relationship there. There's a relationship that reflects the relationship that Christians have with Jesus. We don't serve any savior. We don't submit to any one Savior, right? We only submit to Jesus Christ. We belong to him, and he belongs to us. And guess what? He always leads us in good places. Now, notice what also it does not say. It does say that wives are to submit to their husbands as they do to the Lord. But notice what it does not say. It does not say they submit to their husbands in place of the Lord, okay? It does not say they submit to their husbands instead of the Lord. Paul would be setting women up for failure and sin. Why? Well, because something that binds all men together is they're twisted and they're broken and they're crooked deep down. That's what the book says. It says it in a different way. All men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the reality is there. So it, So what happens is, is a, is a woman, regardless of who she is, is under no obligation whatsoever to submit to the demands or the authorities of anyone, including her husband, if those demands and that authority runs contrary to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Under no obligation. The apostles will say in Acts chapter 4, we are here to obey God rather than men. So it doesn't say that they do that in place of, or they don't do that where their husband's Um, act as if they are the Lord. Unfortunately, that's at times the way that it is twisted. Unfortunately, there are ignorant and unstable men, as the Apostle Peter says, who twist the Scriptures. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. Um, Jesus Christ experienced such things in his own life. I mean, God has a real enemy who hates marriage. Like, you realize in the Garden of Eden the first attack that Satan makes after he starts questioning God's word is he starts subverting, he starts subverting the order of marriage itself. He's trying to twist this whole thing. And he always twists the scriptures. That's what he did to Jesus. And in Matthew chapter four, he twists good scriptures to try to get Jesus to stop trusting God and to bring harm to his life. So we shouldn't, we're not ignorant of his devices. So it does not say that you, it does not say that you submit as if he is the Lord. It's similar. It's like that. You know that Jesus Christ, when he speaks to things, when he does things, will lead you in a good direction and in a direction that will bring about good change in your life, and that's normal. And so when things are ordered properly, the redemptive order is such that Jesus Christ um, comes to save his people and to lead them along a new path. And so what do we do? We willingly and we gladly submit to that, and we follow his good direction. But did you see that he's using the imagery of the body, the metaphor of the body? Christ is head of the church, and the church is his body. When the human body is operating correctly, right, the head The head head communicates to the heart so that the heart can fulfill its God-given role, right? The the heart is a valuable part in in that it it pumps blood and it keeps us alive. The the hands and the head communicate to one another and they work and they are ordered properly. They work together in such a way so that they can fulfill the God-given role that God has placed for the human body. It seems to me that one of the reasons why Christian marriage and this topic is so strange is that the assumption here is that marriage is for something that is bigger and greater than the couple itself. What is marriage for? Like for the non-Christian, I don't know what marriage is for. I think that many people in our own day don't believe marriage is for anything. That's why they don't get married, right? It's not, they would say it's not necessary for companionship, though we as a Christian say that companionship is part of it. It's not good that man should be alone. They would not say that it's not necessary for sexual gratification and intimacy though we as Christians say that that sexual gratification and intimacy belongs in the covenant of marriage they would say what I don't know that they would say that it's for anything and the Christian has the audacity to say it's actually for something it's to communicate that there is a God and his name is Jesus Christ and he loves his people and his people follow his lead and guess what for the wives in this church and for the men as well, if you're married, your marriage is a living sermon to that reality. You are proclaiming something with your life. Now, my question is, is what are you proclaiming? If your life is a living sermon, then what is it preaching? What is it saying about the reality of marriage? And then for that matter, who's your congregation? Like, what is... is to the wives, what is your marriage saying to your children? What is it saying about the nature of what it means to be a Christian wife? What is it saying about the nature of what it means to be a Christian woman? It's communicating something. And my question is, is what, what do you believe that it's communicating? This may be an opportunity for you, one, to, to give yourself to some self-examination, but also to, if you don't already have, to find a woman in your life who can speak honestly about, about what, what it's communicating. If you don't have someone, then maybe a next step for you is to find someone who who can be honest and real with you, who will love you enough to, to encourage you and to speak truth into your life. Our marriages are living testimonies of a reality that is greater than us. Marriage is for something, is the Christian conviction. It is meant to testify that there is a Savior and he has come for his people. If you, are, if you are a woman and you're not married, one, I want you to know that you don't need to be married to be valuable. You're valuable because you are. You've been created in the image of God and you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and you have inherent value in and of yourself. And I don't, I don't want us ever to be a church that starts um, making value conditioned on whether you're married. I don't want us to be a church that would make value conditioned on much of anything. Right? We don't need to make people valuable if they do this or that. I mean, I think women are valuable because they are. I don't think they're valuable because they have to have authority over men. That makes value contingent on something else. And according to God, people are valuable because they've been created in this image, and Christians are valuable because they belong to Jesus Christ. Value is not contingent on anything you do or don't do. That's why it doesn't matter what your position is. But if you are single and you desire to get married, now's the time to start shaping your vision of what your marriage will look like and what this might look like in your everyday life. I would encourage you to find someone who has been a Christian and who has been married for some time. You want somebody who's, who's done this enough to have made enough mistakes that they have something to share with you. You want somebody who will be honest about the things that they've learned over the course of a lifetime. The reality is, is their their marriage, and if you long for that yourself, your marriage has the ability to. To communicate. I mean, those those two co workers I had, the reason why they asked me those questions was not because they heard a sermon. The reason why they asked me those questions was not because of anything they read actually in the Bible. The reason why they asked me those questions was because they witnessed a wedding and a marriage. And our marriages declare something about the character of Christ and His church. And it reveals the divine order. And then third, a godly woman, a godly woman, paints a portrait of true Christian living by respecting her husband. So after Paul moves to initially address the wives, he's going to spend a lot of time um, speaking to the husbands. And Pastor Jonah will, will be addressing the subject next week. And then he concludes. He concludes with two commands in verse 33. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, he speaks here about, after he talks about roles, and so the role of the wife and the role of the husband, he finishes off with um, two basic commands. Now, there's a collection of things that, Paul does not address in any way, shape, or form. He, he does not say in this passage, he does not say that the roles are different because of abilities, okay? He does not say that the roles are different because of competency, okay? All of the times I've had to talk with people about this, the question has come up because the question is, is are you saying that women are not capable of, fill in the blank. And this has nothing to do with capability or ability. It has to do with responsibility and calling. That's what it has to do with. And so there's a distinction in roles because there's a distinction in calling and a distinction in responsibility, but nothing about capability, ability, or the like. And so we have this distinction, and what he says is he says that, that the responsibility of a, of a wife is to respect her husband's position, because if he is in the place, if he is in the leadership role, if he is to be the servant leader in, in the home, he's going to have to wrestle with God's will for his life, but also for his marriage. He's going to have to make decisions. He's going to have to take risks. If he's a godly man, because he is to Because he's a godly man and he's a Christian, he's going to have to, at some point in time, come back and say he was wrong. He's going to have to come back and say, I shouldn't have done things this way. And so the command is to respect, to, to honor the calling and the burden and the responsibility that's placed on his life. So, God in his infinite wisdom, I mean, did you notice that the husbands were required to love their wives, but but the wives weren't required to do the same? One of the most troubling things I've read in the Bible. But why the need for respect? Why the need for respect? Because he's going to have to make hard decisions and because he needs, he needs the support because here's the reality. The reality in scripture is, is that that everybody and all men are scared to death. It's the most common command in all of scripture is do not fear. And, and when a woman, when a wife will respect and honor her husband and at times express her concerns, there's nothing about submission that says you can't express your concerns. There's nothing about submission that says you cannot say, I don't agree. There's nothing about submission that says, I don't, I don't think this is the wisest decision. There's nothing about that in scripture that says that's not what it is. But it is having a posture of the heart is to say, I respect the position and, and your responsibilities as the leader and as the head of this home. When you do that, you will bring about, you will bring about new life into the heart of your husband. He will know that he can trust you and he will know that if it goes wrong, let's say he makes a decision about finances. He makes a decision about your children's education. He makes a decision about whatever. He will know that he has your respect and it will bring about transformative change. And it, will, it is an act of courage. It's an act of courage to, to submit. And you will bring new life into his life you will bring transformation into your marriage. I know this for a lot of reasons. But I know one thing that the Scriptures teaches. The Scripture teaches that transformation always follows submission. The Scriptures teaches that new life always follows submission In its time, it may not be immediate, but it will happen in the course of time. You might say, now what is your evidence of such a ridiculous idea? Well, I would say it's the submission of Jesus Christ. What is incredible to me is that God would choose to save people like you and I, through an act of submission. That Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane comes and he approaches God the Father and he wrestles. I mean, he is wrestling with God's plan and God's leadership over his own life. Leadership that is, that is far more devastating than education or finances or the like. He is submitting himself to God's plan and he will face God's wrath at the cross. And so he expresses his concerns. It's true submission, but he's expressing his concerns and he's saying to God, if there's another way to do this, please let it happen. But then he says as an act of submission, not as I will, but as yours be done. He steps back, he defers to God's plan and God's authority over his life and he submits himself to God his own death. That was an act of submission. And if you're a Christian, it brought about transformation now, didn't it? If you're a Christian, it brought about an everlasting change in your life. And you know what? Jesus's act of submission brought about new life and it eventually brought about his resurrection. And now we proclaim that. We proclaim that with our lives, We could proclaim that with our marriages. And we see a picture of it, not only in the word and not only in our marriages, but also in the Lord's Supper. Because you see on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Like, why would he do that? Like, why would Jesus submit to betrayal, abandonment, and pain? Well, the songwriter says, it's for Adam's cursed race. It's for every broken soul. And in the same way, he took a cup of wine and after giving thanks, he says, this cup is the cup of the new covenant sealed by the shedding of my blood. Take, drink of this, do this in remembrance of me. For every time you eat from this bread and you drink from this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he returns. And so if you are a Christian You're invited to come forward. After I get done praying and the musicians begin playing, there'll be stations throughout the auditorium. You can come forward. Our tradition here is to tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in juice or wine, whatever your conscience permits. And if you're a Christian, we invite you, please come and take communion with us. But if you're not a Christian, I would ask that you respect our tradition. But I would ask that you would consider who it is that I'm talking about. Not so much these marriages and these type of things, but I I pray that you would consider who is Jesus Christ and why would he give himself over to death for people like you and I. I pray that you'll place your faith in him and we can prepare you for communion on another day. Let's pray together.